Peak, how are we doing this weekend? Hey, it is good to be with you once again. If you're joining us here in the worship center, joining us online, especially if you're joining us for the very first time, to all of you, welcome to Rocky Peak. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rocky Peak. And we're gonna go into our time of teaching, but before we do, I also wanna highlight one thing. I've got one announcement for you. There on the back of your program, you're gonna see in particular, if you are the parent of an elementary age student or a pre schooler next Friday on April 1st we're going to be having our next edition of RPK live and if you have an experience at RPK live we would love to invite you to come and join us because RPK live is designed for families to come together to not only smile laugh and have a good time but it's designed for families to come and experience worship together and when we say that we mean worship in the in a bigger picture that yes families are going to come and experience singing and songs together, but they're also going to get to experience times of prayer together, get to experience communion together, get to experience sitting under the te- a brief teaching of God's word together. And RPK Live is designed to help build rhythms for families to continue that act of worship in your own homes. And so again, there's information there on the back of your program, but if you haven't yet, I would love for you to come, RSVP, come and join us as we get to do that together. And so we're gonna go into our time of teaching. If you haven't yet, if you pull out of your program the green and white message note sheet, which is gonna be a great tool to help you follow along, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive right in. You know, Jesus, I, I prayed this last night and it's still my prayer this morning that as we sang that final song, as we lifted our voices and said, all hail King Jesus, that my prayer is I don't want my heart to become numb to the depth of what that means. I don't wanna become numb to the fact that you are king of all things, that no matter what trials, no matter what suffering, no matter what tribulation I or we face, you are on your throne that you see what we don't see, that you empower in a way we couldn't empower ourselves, that you have a vision and a plan that is more beautiful than anything I could possibly imagine. And as we continue this series, we see that yes, there are times in which we have to go and experience significant trials and suffering, but that doesn't mean you're any less king. It proves how powerful you are that you lead us through them and you transform us to be better because of it. And so Jesus, as we spend this weekend in your word, which is living and active, we are grateful that you are speaking to us through it. I pray as I often do as the communicator, I pray that I would become far, far less, that I would fall at the wayside. And I pray that you this weekend, King Jesus, would become much, much more in our eyes and in our hearts. And it's in your name that we all said, amen. Well, Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're gonna be continuing the series that we kicked off just last week called Signs the Path to Glory. 
And if you're here for the very first time, this series is actually the third series, or as Michael put it, the third season, if you will, in a bigger series called Signs, which has been an in-depth study in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And throughout this bigger series of Signs, we've been looking at the life and teachings of Jesus as told through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, the Apostle John. Now this series in particular is showing us that the path to glory for Jesus leads straight through the cross and crucifixion. And at the time, the cross or crucifixion represented the greatest shame or humiliation that a person could endure. But it's there when Jesus is lifted up on that cross that we are going to experience his greatest glory and we're going to clearly see the heart of our king. And ultimately, our heart behind this series is to see that Jesus will do whatever it takes to bring his father glory and to bring life to his people. And so this weekend, what we're gonna do is we're gonna conclude Jesus's farewell prayer, so to speak, in John chapter 17. Michael led us through the first couple of verses last weekend, and we're gonna be finishing out this chapter. And there on the front of your note sheet, You've got one of the key verses from last week, John 17, 1. After, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And in that declaration, the hour has come. Jesus is letting us know that we are getting ready to enter into the next chapter of God's story. We are getting ready to enter into the next chapter of our story as a part of God's story. And last week, the focus was as Jesus prayed for himself in his role. This week, as we dig into our passage, we're gonna see that his focus shifts a bit from himself to what he's doing in the life of his disciples. And what we're gonna see is that Jesus prays over his disciples, those men there, as well as us who are the disciples of Jesus today, that we be equipped for this next chapter that God is calling us into. And so there in your note sheet, You've got a section titled just that, the next chapter. And if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to John chapter 17 in our New Testament. And as you're turning there, let me encourage you to have your note sheet handy because we're gonna be going through both concurrently this weekend. And Rocky Peak, you know me, we're gonna be highlighting a lot this weekend. So get ready for that. So John chapter 17, starting at verse six. This is what Jesus prays. He says, I have revealed you. Would you underline or highlight that? Revealed you. So remember, Jesus is speaking to God the Father. So he is saying, I have revealed God to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now that they know that everything you have given, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Verse eight, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Would you underline or highlight that? For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted that. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. 
So let's pause right there and let's unpack a little bit of what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is speaking about what's happened so far. Let's say what's happened in the previous chapters of our lives. He's talking about that his mission has come to bring glory to God the Father. If you were here last week, Michael really unpacked that, but in essence, to bring God glory is to reveal the truth of who God really is, the truth of his character, the truth of his love, the truth of his identity. And so Jesus is speaking of what he has done, and he is speaking of what he has done in the life of his disciples. Jesus is setting up that because of his work, the disciples have been changed fundamentally at a heart level that they have accepted the word of God, meaning they have accepted the truth of who God is, and that has completely transformed their heart. And something we've talked about often here at Rocky Peak is that biblically, this concept of heart is much bigger than a Disney version of it that when the Bible talks about our hearts, it's not simply talking about our emotions or what we feel, although that is a part of it, but biblically a heart is the totality of who we are. The answer to the age, age old Michael Scott question, why are you the way you are, is because of your heart. So Jesus is saying that because of God's word, that his followers, them, us have been transformed at a heart level. And do you notice this partnership between Jesus and the Father? What you have given me, you have given me then. We continue to see that. And so as we continue in verse nine, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. Would you underline or highlight that? I am not praying for the world. And again, don't misunderstand this. Jesus cares deeply for the world. He entered into the world to love and rescue the world. But what he means is this specific prayer is aimed for those that have put themselves under the authority of God. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. Again, that unique partnership between the Father and the Son. And glory has come to me through them. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Would you underline or highlight that? I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And so Jesus is establishing that this next chapter is a turning point, that while Jesus physically is gonna be returning to the right hand of the Father, we, the believers, the church, are going to remain, and not just are we going to remain, but what we are going to see is that we are remaining so that we can continue the work of Jesus in the world around us. If you were with us in our previous series called Supernatural, you remember that as we talked about that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, there is a supernatural change that happens in their lives. And some of the things we covered in that series is that one, two of the biggest changes are that we have a new calling, we have a new assignment. We are now partners. We are now 
on mission to continue the work of the kingdom, which is to reveal the truth of who God is and what God's vision for us is. And so what's important as we go forward in this prayer is understand that ultimately, this prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf is for the state of our hearts. He is beginning with reminding that our hearts have experienced a fundamental change. And as we're gonna see, he's going to continue that for us to be fully equipped for what's ahead, for the journey ahead, for the successes ahead, for the hardships and trials ahead, the most important thing we need to be mindful of is the state of our hearts. And actually there on your note sheet, that's our first fill-in, that Jesus' prayer is for our hearts to be rooted in relationship. Our hearts to be rooted in relationship. That is one of the most important changes that happened to our hearts and our identity when we came to know Jesus is that he breathed life into what was once dead and he then claimed who were once orphans and he made them part of his family. Our hearts are now forever rooted in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to being equipped for our calling, when it comes to being equipped for the next chapter, again, as I stated, Jesus is gonna show us that the most important thing for us to be intentional of is the state of our heart. And why this is so important is that often, then and now, as followers of, our, of Jesus, our heart can, our, the state of our heart can be something that we regularly neglect. And I think the truth is nobody ever sets out intentionally to neglect the state of their heart. But what happens is we get caught up in life. We get caught up in busyness. We get caught up in the trials or the opportunities or the schedule. We start running and we start running hard for various reasons, for painful reasons or even for good reasons. And so what ends up happening is that when it comes to our heart, all of a sudden when we start caring for our heart, it starts becoming surface level. It doesn't go as deep as Jesus is intending. And Jesus' prayer is aimed for us to stop and remember, to stop and reflect, to stop and focus and to be fully equipped. What matters most is the condition of our hearts. But to be able to do that, and something we talk about often at Rocky Peak is that we need to begin with a radical honesty, a radical authenticity. That's the first step. And we need to admit, hear me, I need to admit that often I neglect the state of my heart without even intending to. Let me illustrate it this way. Rafi, can you throw that first picture up? So I took this picture of my house on Friday, and to be very specific, that was March 25th. Do you notice something in that picture that's odd for the month of March? Rafi, can you go to the next one, please? Just to be clear, those are Christmas lights. My Christmas lights were still up as of March 25th. 
And Rocky Peak, especially if you're a longtime Rocky Peaker, if you're a long time of somebody sitting under my, under my teaching, you know that this is a moment of great humility because I have often poked fun at those houses. I have often done that from up here. I have often said, it's March or it's April. Why are your lights still up? And here I am eating crow that it was essentially April and my Christmas lights would come up. And so that was not my intention. When I hung them in November, I didn't go, man, I really hope I make it to summer with these Christmas lights still up. <laughs> and so the question becomes, well, how did this happen? And how that happened was my life and my family's life got caught up in the whirlwind. See, I used to pride myself in the fact that two days after Christmas, those lights were down. Now again, to be fair, you see, my Christmas light decoration is not very intricate. But what ended up happening? Well, one, we all got COVID, and that ended up being a marathon of it going through my family. Secondly, as that cleared up, kids went back to school. There were a lot of demands in schedule. There was family coming into town. There were unexpected trials, unexpected hardships. And then I remember there would be many times where I would see those and go, oh yes, I need to make sure that I get those down. And then I would realize, oh, I don't have the equipment. I need to go borrow a ladder. And all of these things would keep coming up. The whirlwind kept happening and the whirlwind kept distracting me from it and I noticed something really interesting that the longer it went on that the more distracted I became the less I began to notice that they were still up there it started just becoming normal that's a part of my house that's how my house is and it finally took the other day and yes before you judge me they finally down but the other day I remember I finally noticed, oh, my Christmas lights are still up. But you know what? My wife is out of town. I got to do this with the kids. I'm like, no, if this is going to happen, I need to stop and I need to focus because that isn't how it's supposed to be. And while there's humor in that, I share that because I think that's a great analogy for often what happens to our hearts, that a lot of us as Christ followers would say, yes, the state of our heart is absolutely important, but what happens is that we don't set out to neglect it intentionally, we just get caught up in the whirlwind. We get caught up in life. We get caught up in running and in schedules and in busyness and in hobbies and in trials and in pain and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, the state of our heart becomes marginal. It becomes surface level at best. And so we need to come back to scripture. I need to come back to scripture to these reminders that Jesus is modeling for us that the state of your heart is vital for what is next. And so as Jesus models this prayer, it's just that, it's a model. That what Jesus is gonna pray over us as his followers is an invitation for us to begin to pray and to go before God the Father over our hearts with what Jesus highlights. And so as we continue forward there in Inochi, you've got a section titled, Jesus's Focus. And we're gonna be looking at three key areas that he prays for the state of our heart. And so let's go back to verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, would you underline or highlight that? And as you do though, can we pause in that? If memory serves correctly, this is the first time in John's gospel 
that Jesus has referred to the Father by that title. And it's significant and intentional. Holy Father. To say God is holy is to say that there is no other like our God. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Would you underline or highlight that? Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that, my, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Would you underline or highlight that? And the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Would you underline or highlight that because that's significant. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so as we unpack what we just read, there in your note sheet, your first fill-in, the first thing that Jesus prays is for protection. Ultimately, Jesus prays protection over our hearts, over our very identity. And here's why. We've talked a lot about this in our history at Rocky Peak, that when it comes to spiritual warfare, when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus, what they have done is they have just switched sides in this spiritual war. And what that means is we were once part of the kingdom of darkness, but now we are part of the kingdom of Jesus, the risen king. But the enemy, the devil, God's enemy, is not the king of hell in a distant future, but he's the ruler of this world. He's the ruler of this domain. And for those of us that have placed ourselves under the authority of King Jesus, we have now become the enemies of this world. And by becoming the enemies of this world, World, we are now inviting great danger and great hostility. And so Jesus is asking for protection. But do you notice, as I established a little bit earlier, he's specifically praying protection over our hearts. Do you notice that he's not asking us to be kept safe in our circumstances, not because our circumstances don't matter to Jesus the King, but because Jesus knows the enemy well, and he knows that when the enemy comes after us, he is coming after our hearts first and foremost. And the number one way that the enemy is coming after our hearts is that he is trying to change how we view and understand who God is. And so Jesus is not only praying for our protection, but he's also teaching us how we experience that safety and protection that God gives. And there in your note sheet, the protection is experienced through God's character. That's what's meant when Jesus says, protect them through your name. And again, 
name biblically was about identity. Name was about a person's character, a person's attributes. It's who they are. And so what Jesus is praying for them and what he's praying for us is that our hearts would experience safety. Our hearts would be rooted deep in the never changing identity of who God the Father is, that we would find protection in resting and reflecting in the fact that God is all powerful that we would find excuse me, protection in resting in the truth that God is compassionate, that God is loving, that God is fearless, that the names he has given Jesus, that Jesus is God with us, that Jesus is savior, that Jesus is king, because the enemy is coming after our hearts to distort that. We see that from the very beginning in the garden, how did he attack Adam and Eve is by distorting who God is in their eyes, by subtly going, are you sure God is for you? Are you sure that God wants the best for you? Are you sure that you can trust God? And so first and foremost, Jesus is praying protection in the fact that we find safety, not in our circumstances, but in the never changing identity of who God is. And so in each of these prayer requests, what I wanna give you and invite you to is a practical prayer action that we can do as we leave this place. I would encourage you sometime in the next 24 hours. And to really experience what Jesus is talking about, I wanna invite you to go before the Lord in prayer, to ask that same request, to pray for his protection over your heart, and to do so as you just sit and reflect on who he is. And beautifully, that's gonna require for some of us longtime Christ followers, some humility. And what I mean by that is I said this the last time I was with you a couple of weeks ago, that when it comes to my spiritual growth, when it comes to my own maturity, I realize that often I assume way too much. Often I assume that I get it. Often I assume that I know. Often I assume that I understand. And the beautiful thing is that God breaks through my pride and through humility, he shows me there are more depths to everything I think I know. And so my invitation in this example is sit before the Lord and think about one character, think about one attribute of who God is. If you're looking to understand or to get names of that, the Psalms are a great place. For example, often the Psalms refer to God as strong tower or our refuge. Sit before the Lord and ask yourself, dwell with him. What does it mean for your heart that God is your refuge? What does that mean specifically if you are facing a trial or a hardship? What does that mean if you are facing a time of confusion? What does it mean if you are facing a time of brokenness, that God is your stronghold, that God is your strong tower, that God is your refuge? Sit and dwell and reflect that you are safe because of who God is. And through that, we can say through our hearts what it says there in Yenochi from Psalm 97, rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise his holy name.
And if you go back to verse, 17, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. We've been called to a fight. We are here on purpose. We've been called to be witnesses that Jesus is king, that Jesus brings life and restoration, and we've been called to do that to all people. Hear my heart, Christ followers, we've not been called to shelter and hide. We've not been called to run. We've been called to go and engage with a world that doesn't yet know that Jesus is king. We've been called to enter into hostility. We've been called to enter into brokenness. We've been called to enter into suffering. We've been called to enter into dark places. Hear me, we've been called to follow the living model and footsteps of Jesus the King who has done that himself, who has entered into our dark places, who has entered into our brokenness. We have been called to be witnesses, to be a light in a dark place, not because we we can change anybody's life, but the point to the one who can. And Jesus is praying protection over our hearts because through that, he's reminding us that our call is to go. And that can seem scary and that can be intimidating. But again, I'm inviting you to reflect how many of you would be here today if it wasn't for a witness of Jesus that entered into your life? How many of you would be here today if it wasn't for that family member, if it wasn't for that coworker, if it wasn't for that neighbor, if it wasn't for that sponsor, if it wasn't for that barista, if it wasn't for that person that entered into a dark place, would you be here? And so this is our opportunity and the danger is very real, but just like we're gonna celebrate in a few weekends on Easter weekend, Jesus has won and his protection and his safety is for all. And so he prays protection over us. And so as we continue, verse 17, the second thing that Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Would you underline or highlight that? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And so what Jesus is asking through this, through this prayer request is there your second fill, and he's praying for transformation. Jesus is praying that our hearts would experience transformation. Again, another way of saying that our, our identities would be completely transformed. And this word sanctification, the Greek, hagiazo, another way of saying it is make them holy. Now again, we see the intentionality of him referring to God the Father as holy Father. To call God holy is to say that God is completely distinct 
from our world. That God is set apart, that his ways are not our ways. And so when Jesus comes into our life and he breathes resurrection power into our hearts, he is beginning this work of making our hearts holy. He is beginning to set our hearts apart. He is beginning to make our hearts distinct from the world around us. Many of you have heard me say this numerous times from up here, that God's vision for our lives is not that we simply become slightly better versions of who we were before Jesus, but his vision is that that we would be radically holy new creations, that we would be holy. Holy is not perfection. We are not called to perfection on this side of heaven, but he is calling us to be different. He is calling us to be distinct, just like God is holy. And when we go through the Old Testament in particular, we often see this, holy is the Lord, meaning there is no one like our God. And just like God is different, now at a fundamental heart level, we are different as well. So Jesus is praying that we would experience a transformation, that we would become a holy people. And that adds a beautiful depth to this common Christian saying that as Christ followers, we want to become more like Jesus. And Jesus is holy and so our call and our invitation is to be transformed, to become holy as well. And there's a lot of different ways to unpack this, but I think one word that is helpful is that to be made holy is to be brought in alignment with God is to be brought in alignment with God. And what I mean is that this is something wholly different than knowing things about Jesus. This is something very different than simply liking things about Jesus. This is being transformed at a heart level at every aspect in our lives to come under the alignment, under the authority of King Jesus. To be made holy is that we are going before God the Father and saying, transform my thoughts transform the way I think to be made holy is to come under alignment to come before Jesus and say transform my emotions transform how I feel about these people how I feel about this area how I feel about this thing transform my actions so that my hands and feet can be holy like your words transform my priorities I don't want to prioritize what this world prioritizes I want to prioritize what you prioritize Jesus to be made holy is to come under alignment and to be a reflection in every area in thought and in emotion and in action and in priority with King Jesus. And Jesus tells us there in Unochi that this is experienced through truth and the word. This is experienced through truth and the word, which really they're synonymous the word of God, the word that God speaks is truth. And we are transformed, we are made holy by the truth. And why this matters is again, I'm gonna speak to my own sin and shortcoming, is because I assume too much. I assume I get it. I assume I, I'm thinking like Jesus. I'm feeling like Jesus, I'm prioritizing like Jesus. 
And when I go through this passage, I'm reminded that Jesus's original audience, by and large, was a religious audience. Jesus's religious original audience, by and large, was an audience that would have said, we're on team God, we get it, we know how to be holy. And when we go back to John chapter 16, when Jesus says, I am the truth, what Jesus is beautifully saying is, no, you don't. And I'm here to redefine reality for you. And so how are we made holy? Well, by and large, we are led by God's word. We are led by the truth. That is why the word matters. And it's why the enemy will do everything in his power to keep you from it. As Christ followers, the word is one of the often most neglected parts of our rhythm. And that is exactly how the enemy has intended it. Because he knows if he keeps you from the word, he is keeping you from truth. He knows that if he keeps you from truth, he is keeping you from your heart, experience a holy transformation. And he is keeping your heart from experiencing a holy transformation that he knows you are more vulnerable and susceptible to his action and his temptation. But he also knows that he has no power that stands up to truth, that he has no power that stands up to the word of God. And so he will fight vehemently to keep us from it because he knows that the moment you are in the truth of God, the power of Jesus declares his victory over your life. And so what does this mean? What does this look like in a prayer rhythm? One invitation I would give you is, again, go before the Lord. And for many of us, it's a prayer that sounds so simple, but I don't know if it's a prayer that many of us have ever uttered in which we ask Jesus, what does it look like to be made holy in this specific area of my life? For example, for some of you, that prayer may be, Jesus, what does it look like to be holy, to have a holy heart when it comes to how I use my time? Jesus, what does it look like to have a holy heart when it comes to how I use my finances or my resources. Jesus, what does it look like to have a holy heart when it comes to this conflict that I'm in? When it comes to these relationships or these trials or these hardships, go before the Lord and be specific and ask the Holy One to lead and teach you what does it look like to be holy in this specific area of our lives. There in your note sheet, the, uh, the Apostle Peter puts it, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter quoting Leviticus there. And so that's the second thing that Jesus prays over us. Let's go to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so again, that's us, that's the disciples today, Christ followers today, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, in, uh, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. 
I have sent me, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Would you underline or highlight that? Have you noticed that that has come up several times in this, this recurring prayer of unity, that they may be one as we are one? I and them and you and me, and have you noticed that he keeps referring to the relationship between the Son and the Father, so that that they may be brought to complete unity. Would you underline or highlight that complete unity? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so this third prayer request that I wanna highlight there in your note sheet is that Jesus prays for unity. Jesus prays for unity, but in particular, do you notice that unity is built on love? That unity is built first and foremost on the love between the Father and the Son. And so this begins in our individual hearts that when we give our lives to Jesus, I mentioned earlier in the message that we are no longer orphans, meaning that we have now been invited to, the, to share in the unity of God the Father and Jesus the Son. That we have now been invited to share in that unity, meaning we have been invited to experience that love. And now as followers of Jesus, we are continue to be invited to not only be overflowing and overwhelmed with that unifying love, but to now go and show that same love to other people, that same love to people around us, that same invitation. One thing that's incredible about unity in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, is that often unity is, is applied to mission, that one of the biggest weapons we have in a broken and a hostile world is to show them the unification that happens through the supernatural love found in Jesus the King. And the beautiful truth of that is that love is a great unifier. And again, at a core level, but we see that in various places in our world that the love of someone, that the love of something can unify even the most diverse or divergent of people and backgrounds, can't it? Let me illustrate it this way. You know, something I've said throughout the years is that I absolutely love and adore music. And I always wanna make this distinction that while I deeply love music, I have no musical talent. Let's make that distinction clear. And I love an eclectic styles of, and genres of music. There's not much that I don't like. But in particular, one of my favorite genres of music are 80s power ballads. There's something just masterful about a good 80s power ballad because to me, it's one of the only genres that when you're listening to the song, no matter what song it is, if it's a power ballad, you tend to go, you know what, I could see myself roller skating to this. And some of you of a certain age or generation, you were there a couple skate in middle school. You know how powerful that is. 
And so some of you know, years and years ago on the side, in addition to being a pastor at Rocky Peak, I did a short stint as a corporate DJ. And what would be interesting is when I would be given the opportunity to play an 80s power ballad, let's take an example. One of my favorites is Alone by the band Heart. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Spotify it, it's gonna change your life. But if I would play it, two things would happen at the same time. One, I would always be amazed by the diversity in age, in story, in background of people that began singing the song in unison, that knew it for whatever reason, whether they were there when it was released, whether they were introduced to it at a different point in life, but whatever, I was always amazed at that. And the second thing is you saw a group of people that had never heard it before and began falling in love. And in one particular, and, off, and in particular, they would look and see this group of people singing along and they would go, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna know what they know. And I share that as an illustration to go, what a beautiful opportunity we have on our mission to show people what we mean by the fact that God loves you, that unity is a declaration. Unity is a loud declaration that the love of Jesus can unify a diverse group of people with different stories, different backgrounds, different successes, different gifts, different passions, different hurts, different sins, but the same Jesus. But not only that, it's a powerful tool and mission for us to go out and go, not only has Jesus invited us into the unity shared by him and the Father, but he invites you too to be a part of it. And it begins in our hearts. And so again, as my third example of a prayer rhythm, have you ever gone before the Lord and prayed for unity? Specifically in your own heart. Let me invite you, go before the Lord and pray that your heart would be open to see the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a deeper way for you to see and experience the love that that unity has given to you, that you are now a part of that. What would it look like if you went before the Lord and prayed, God, you are calling me to be a reflection of that unity? So does that mean a, a renewed passion and a heart for unity? Does that mean an action step of going and being a bridge to someone else? Does it mean confessing and repenting areas in which we have been the opposite of that and we have brought disunity? Whatever that may be, let's go to the Lord and as Jesus modeled for us, be a people that are appreciating, are experiencing, and are praying for unity. And there in your note sheet from Colossians 3, therefore as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Let me pause right there, and even though he's gonna say it, I wanna highlight, this is exactly how Jesus has and Jesus continues to treat each and every one of us. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in a perfect unity. And then as we close out this passage in verse, 30, in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Would you underline or highlight that? To be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Verse 25, righteous Father. Again, would you underline that? It is an intentional title highlighting that our God is unlike any other. Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. And so in essence, as Jesus closes this prayer, his final words for them, his final words for us as we experience the next chapter of this bigger story we've been called to is Jesus the King saying, I love you and I am with you. Again, let that sit. I love you and I am with you. And so Rocky Peak, as we transition out of our time of teaching, we invite the worship to come on up to lead us in the last song. But I also wanna invite you to just take a moment to reflect. And so we've looked at three prayer requests that Jesus makes for the state of our heart. And my reflection question to you is, which one of those three do you sense the Lord inviting you to pray over your heart? Which one of those three do you sense the Lord inviting you to come before him and to spend some time? Is it protection? Is it transformation? Or is it unity? And again, would you make the intentional effort sometime in the next 24 hours to go before the Lord in prayer, to pray what Jesus prayed over your heart and to listen to what the Lord wants to do. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your model. We thank you for your example. We thank you that you not only went to the Father on, on, your, on our behalf, but because you're, of your death and resurrection, we can now go to the Father as well. Jesus, we thank you that you freely provide all three of those areas, protection, transformation, and unity in abundance. We thank you that our stories in our hearts are in different places, that the hope is that we would be a church, we would be a people that spend time this next week in prayer over these, but the prayers are gonna look different. We're gonna be led in different directions. Our hearts are gonna be spoken to in different ways. And that's the beauty of being a church under your authority. So Jesus, whether it's protection, whether it's transformation, whether it's unity, ultimately our foundation is our hearts are yours, King Jesus. Do what you will. And as we sing this final song, let this be a declaration, an exclamation point on that statement. Our hearts are yours. Our identity are yours. Our lives are yours. So King Jesus, do as you will. Speak, for our hearts are listening. And it's in your name, King Jesus. We all said, amen. Let's stay.